Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. So glad that you can join us today. My name is Pastor John. I'm the lead pastor of this wonderful church we call it Outpouring of Orlando. We're so excited that you'll be with us on today. If you are joining us for the first time uh, on our online community, we just want to say welcome. Uh, we're honored that you'll be with us today. We're just as honored as if you were with us in the physical. Well, I hope our worship team was a blessing to you as they were to me. I pray today that the word of God will be edifying to you no matter where you are. Well, I'm going to get right into it. Um, if you got a Bible, I want you to grab it with me and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. We as a church have been in a series uh, called Living on Mission, which is a part of our uh, vision for our church, which is to see people live on mission where they live, learn, work, and play. And so for uh, the beginning of the, since the beginning of the year, we've been in this series through 1 Peter, we started in January, and, and we're trying to um, gain understanding on how we as followers of Jesus can um, be more engaged with the world in which we live. And so um, we want you to join us today. Um, last two weeks we've preached on hope and on peace, but today we're getting back into the sermon series that we started at the beginning of the year. So if you got a Bible in your first Peter chapter two, I'm going to start reading from verse 11 all the way through 17. It says this, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you will silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Would you pray with me for a moment? Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we have this awesome, wonderful opportunity, God, to study your word together today, God. I pray, Lord, that no matter where we are, we're in front of our phones, or in front of our laptops, God, or in front of our computers, Lord, we just pray that we will be blessed today by your word, Father. I pray that wherever we are, whatever we're going through, God, as a people, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to get through it, Lord. Um, Father, I pray today that Christ would be made known today, God. I pray that Jesus would be glorified today through the preaching and teaching of your word. I pray, God, that it would be nourishing to our souls, Father. I pray for the person who may have strayed away from church or maybe never really been to church or maybe a person who's not in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. I pray today, God, that you would do something supernatural in their hearts, God, that would compel them, that would draw them to you. And so, Father, I thank you for everything that you're going to say and do while we're here together today. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the sermon title today is uh, Live on Mission, Lifestyle Evangelism. Lifestyle Evangelism. 
The first thing that I want to uh, point out that's in the text today is that Peter refers to his audience as those that are exiles. They are, they're strangers uh, and exiles, meaning that they are in a place that they are not from, that they've been exiled to a different region or a different location, and they are strangers in a foreign land. Well, maybe that may not feel like um, what it is to you where you are right now, but if we belong to Christ Jesus, then we are strangers and foreigners in the world. We are all exiles because we belong to God. And so when Peter refers to them as strangers and exiles, he's not really talking about their geographical location. He's really talking about their spiritual condition. He's drawing a parallel from the people in his day to God's people throughout history. God's people started their journey as exiles in Egypt. And so Peter is paralleling where his people are that he's writing to and, and the people from, from the past, God's people from the beginning. And so we, as God, God's people today, we as exiles and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are foreigners in a world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world because of who we belong to and because of what we believe we do not fully belong to this world so we essentially are all foreigners we are foreigners in a society because of our faith in Christ Jesus however foreign though we may feel or however out of place we may feel as Christians we actually belong to God Peter says in the text he calls them friends he calls them uh, dear friends expressing that they belong to God. We may be strangers in the land, but we're actually friends of God. And so Peter writes that to them to, to let them know that you can be confident knowing that no matter what you go through, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how out of place you may feel right now, and many of us feel out of place, there is comfort in knowing that we belong to God, that we are friends of God. It is so important right now to know that no matter how crazy or how abnormal things may be in this present hour in the world, this world and this life is not all that there is. We have a future heavenly dwelling with God. Our hope and our future is certain because it rests in God and his promises. And so we are pilgrims that are just passing through this life and we have a hope that is based not on when things will get back to normal or life as usual, but our hope is in Christ who never changes. Our hope is rooted and grounded in something that has already happened, namely Christ's resurrection from the dead. And so we have hope in God in spite of how we feel. With that being said, with everything that is going on in the world, to, to be an exile, to be a stranger in a foreign place, being called apart, called and set apart by God, we don't respond like the world does. Right now, many people are responding with fear and with anxiety, but we've been called and set apart to respond differently. If there's anyone in the world that should be hopeful in this present hour, it should be God's people. We should be hopeful. We can look back and see how God brought his people through time and time again throughout history. If you just look at your own life, you can look back and see how God has kept you and protected you no matter how far apart from God you may have been, no matter what you've done, God has always been there with his people. And so when we look at the culture, we look at what's going on in society, we don't respond like the culture. We don't respond like society. When Christ came in, Christ brought in a new culture. Christ came in and brought a new kingdom. Christ doesn't conform to culture.
culture, Christ actually transforms culture. And so as Christ's followers, we've been called not to adopt the response of the culture, but he's called us to be just like him and transform the culture. And we transform the culture by being people who are hopeful, by being people knowing that the light of God can shine right here in the darkness. The unfortunate thing is that we believe that in our holiness, in our distinctiveness as believers, that we've been called at times to fight the culture, to fight against the culture, to fight against the world. We don't actually fight the culture, we actually engage the culture. But we do fight, but our fight is different. We don't fight the culture, we actually fight against the flesh. We don't fight the culture, we fight the flesh. And so if you look at the text in verse 11, Peter tells us, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and, exi and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. He urges them to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. He's telling them to hold yourself from or distance yourself from things that would separate you from God. Distance yourself from the uncurbed human impulses that we have that would draw us to things that is not like God. When he says wage war against the soul, he's referring to our entire identity, who we are in God. He's talking about our will, our mind, our body. When he says that these things wage war against our souls, they wage war against all that we are. They come against our identity as people of God. The apostle Paul was very familiar with what Peter's talking about. Paul said in Romans 7, verses 22 through 25, here's what the apostle Paul said, for in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body. Here's what Paul says, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And Paul has his own answer. Paul says in verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul knows that God, that Jesus is the only one that can rescue him from this war with the flesh. Some believe that this is Paul's experience as a believer. Some believe that this is Paul's experience prior to being a follower of Jesus. Whatever the case is, Paul realizes that life in Christ is the only victory he will have against the things that wage war against his soul. The book of Galatians says this, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. In Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21 lists 15 desires that wage war against us. Now most of the times we think about things that wage war against our soul. We think about, we obviously think about quote unquote big sins. We, we think about sexual immorality and that 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 is true that can be a part of it but do you ever think that pride wages war against your soul what what about what about jealousy do you know that jealousy coveting what someone else has wages war against your soul that the envy 
can wage war against the soul, that deceit wages war against our souls, that idolatry wages war against our souls. Idolatry, meaning that you put something else in God's place and you worship that thing as if it is God, that that wages war against our soul. What about this? Discontentment wages war against our souls. What about anxiety? Because so many people are dealing with anxiety today. Anxiety wages war against our souls. Many of us are at home and we're under strict orders because of everything that's going on and we are glued to our phones and glued to our screens all day long. Are the things that come before our eyes throughout a week because we have nothing else to do, we can't go to work, are, are the things that you see before your eyes waging war against your soul. It's important because those things distort our perception and they further enslave us to sin. And I want to tell you this about sin. Sin shatters and disintegrates the soul. Sin shatters and disintegrates the soul. Sin does violence to our relationship with God, but it also creates unhealthiness in our relationships with others. The Lord's brother James had this to say in James chapter four, verse one. He said this, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? And what James is saying is that sometimes when you're fighting with somebody or somebody is fighting with you, the thing that you're fighting about has nothing to do with the thing you're fighting about. Sometimes the fights originate in the war that's going on on the inside of a person's soul. And sometimes in relationships that could be power, control, authority, or, or fight for something. Maybe it comes from a desire that, that you have on the inside of you. And so these things tend to create wars within, but they disrupt the relationships outside of us. And so he introduces for us this concept of spiritual warfare. This lets us know that this is no joking matter, that, that no matter how strong the desires are, they're not anything to ignore. This is not an easy matter. This is a battle that is going on. This is not two kids roughhousing outside, playing around in the yard. This is not even two boxing sparring partners practicing against each other before the main event. No, he's saying that this is real warfare. This is real life spiritual spiritual warfare. He doesn't tell us to say, oh, well, uh, but he calls us to resist and to conquer, to resist and to conquer. This is not a matter of, oh, I'll just let go and let God. I'll let go and let God. No, no, no. This is not a call to passivity. This comes, this comes down to our sanctification and our sanctification has to be worked out. We have to protect our souls. We have to fight for righteousness. We have to fight for holiness. Although we are right with Christ positionally, we still walk through sanctification on a day to day basis. And it's something that we have to be mindful of and something that we have to have victory over knowing that we already have victory over sin. Colossians reminds us that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them and so he has won the war against sin on the cross but Jesus also was raised to life and you and I can be raised with him so we have victory over sin no matter what you feel like. It was Spurgeon who said, if Christ died for me, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. Wow, what amazing quote, what an amazing quote. And so really for us, this means that we have to walk in the power of the spirit. 
being aware of the Spirit's presence in our life. We have to, as Ephesians tells us, to put on the full armor of God. Our call is to do spiritual warfare, not, not for warfare's sake, but it's a call for us to be sanctified and preserve our identity as God's people that he has set apart. God set us apart on purpose. I taught this a few weeks ago about holiness, that, that we're different by design. God didn't call his people to be holy just so we can talk a certain way or dress a certain way or act a certain way. But God called us to be holy so that we can be distinctively different from the world that is around us. How can they receive from us if we're just like them? What, what, how, do we, how do we have something that is appealing or attractive if our life is no different? And so our call to holiness and sanctification serves a greater purpose than just us talking and acting a certain way. And so we have to protect our soul and put our soul under God's care and under the care of the word so that we can have the capacity not just to love God, but that we can have the capacity to empathize, understand, and deeply love other people, which leads to verse 12. And here's what Peter says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. And essentially what he's doing is calling us to not undermine our own credibility. That, that is essentially the heart of Peter's argument. When he says, conduct yourselves honorably, he's saying, have a beautiful lifestyle. Here's why. We have a life that honors God because he is not the only one that is observing. If you don't know this by now, Christians are under more scrutiny than anybody else, more than any other people group, more than any other religious group, Christians are under more scrutiny than anyone else. The world will slander and misconstrue our distinctiveness, sometimes on purpose. And so what Peter's saying is this is a call for us to live in such a way to quiet the negative stereotypes associated with being a follower of Jesus. He, he's calling us to love our neighbors even when they disagree with us. For, for us to love our neighbors even when we disagree with them. And so what does that look like for us practically? That we can do simple stuff like be nice to a server at a restaurant. That as Christians, we should actually be the best tippers. Somebody should say amen. As Christians, we should go into the restaurant and be the nicest people to the people that serve us. We should leave the biggest tips to the people that serve us. Because we're loving not just God, but we're loving our neighbor. We should do random acts of kindness for all kinds of people, not just Christians. We should be the nicest people in our neighborhood, the nicest people in our communities. We should serve the communities in which God has called us to live. So you know what that means? The call to holiness doesn't mean we detach. We can be different without detaching. We can be different without detaching. However, there's a caveat in that. Whenever the values of the culture come in conflict with our values as believers, we are to willingly endure the hostility that comes along with being different. That we are called to stand firm in what we believe even though others are being hostile against us. We're not to assimilate. Assimilate, we are actually called to engage but be different while we are engaging. And so, 
He calls us to do good works, but our good works and our good deeds are not just good works and good deeds for good works and good deeds sake, but they must be driven by something. They must be driven by the gospel. They must be driven by what God has already done for us. God has already served us. Matthew 20, 28 tells us that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we follow the pattern of Jesus, that he served us by dying for us. He put our interest before his own, and we are called to do the same as believers. And so our actions should be so compelling and so attractive that at some point unbelievers will see Christians and it will be so compelling that it will draw them to God that they would turn and repent and surrender their lives to him. So what does that look like now? How is that pertinent for us as believers in the climate that we live? Because some of us are under strict orders to maybe stay home. There's a lot going on right now and so I think it's interesting that here's what Peter says in verses 13 through 17. He says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. I want to read that again. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. And so the climate in which we live um, calls us to pray for those who are in leadership. Government officials and leaders in authority have, have a God-given role and responsibility in order to maintain social order and also to protect the weak. And Peter calls us to submit to human authority, not, not because of them, but because of our relationship with God. You don't obey the governing authorities because they're good in themselves. You obey them because when you obey them, you're obeying the one that died for you. And so the supreme authority is not the government. It's actually God. However, Romans 13, 1 says this, for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And Peter calls us to submit to those that God has put in positions of authority. That could be a teacher. That could be a local city official. That could be a mayor. That could be a governor. That could even be the president. And he calls us to submit to their authority. That doesn't mean that they have absolute authority and that our submission is blind submission and that we do whatever they ask us to do, even if it violates our conscience or it violates what God calls us to do in his word. No, our ultimate loyalty is to God, not to the government. We, we honor our government, but our allegiance is to God first. So if my candidate gets elected or not, I still need to honor and respect who is in office. I know for some of us that's a tough pill to swallow, but when we offer submission, we are showing our commitment to our real king, which is Jesus. So if there's an order 
to stay home for an extended period of time, especially if it will save my life and save the life of others, what better way as a Christian to live out the gospel than through following the lead of those that God put in place. The aim is to point people back to our living hope, which is Jesus. So even where we are today, it's important that we live out the gospel mission. Even respecting those who are in authority. You know, just because you don't agree with a politician doesn't mean you don't honor a politician. Whether you vote red or you vote blue does not matter. Respect is earned, but honor is given. And I think honor is a lost art in our culture and in our society. But if there's anyone who's going to show honor, it should be followers of Jesus Christ. So we offer submission. We're demonstrating the beauty, the beauty of the gospel. We're living beautifully. So those that may say, well, I, I just don't agree with what they're doing. There's a time for peaceful protest. There's a time to speak truth to power, but there's a way and a manner in which we do it as believers. I'm not talking to the world, I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to Christians. And so if anyone in this day and time, this culture, is going to show off the glory of Jesus, it should be us. By the way, we respond, responding with hope and not out of fear but also by honoring those that God placed in position of authority. I wanna read this last passage. Here's what it says in Jeremiah 29. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. Pray for your politicians. Pray for our leaders, that they would lead with wisdom and with integrity, because it's good for all of us. So if you're not a believer, you're not in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I wanna tell you this today, that you may feel like you're confined, but you can have freedom in Christ Jesus, that he died for you, that you can be free, from whatever wages we war against your soul. Christ overcame sin and death by his victory on the cross through the resurrection that you, no matter where you are, can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So I'll say this prayer we're done. Father, we thank you today. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.